Hey guys, um, hope you're enjoying the podcast as always. Uh, obviously, I'm sure if you're following me on social, you know about this, but if you don't, I am doing Tea with Gary B. Uh, if you're not following it, you're making a huge mistake. 9 a.m. Eastern, we're doing some incredible stuff. Please check it out, Tea with Gary B. Live on all my social platforms. Twitter is definitely the place that you can't miss it. Uh, in general, I think if you're not following me on Twitter, it's a huge mistake. Gary B-E-E on Twitter, check it out. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Welcome to the Startup Grind. How's it going, Gary? It's going well. Am I on? Yeah, yeah. I'm on. Hey, everyone. Hi, Gary. So, um, thank you very much for for uh, for accepting our invitation here. Um, yeah. So. Uh, so we usually like to start off on a personal note for all of our speakers, and so, you know, let's let's sort of go through like where were you born, where were you raised, sure, uh, and then maybe talk about like what was your first taste of entrepreneurship. Sure. Talk about that. So I was born in Belarus in the former Soviet Union. Uh, I came to the U.S. in 1978 when I was three. I spent one year in Queens, New York. Big ups to Queens. <laughs> no, not from Queens. You just... No, totally from Queens. Okay, good. Uh, and then I, I moved to New Jersey and basically grew up in Edison, New Jersey. Um, and uh, my first taste of entrepreneurship was when I was four and a half, when I was five, when we moved to New Jersey. I started a very interesting business. A lot of, I see a lot of familiar faces, so I think a lot of people might know the lemonade stand story, but the ones that know me a little bit deeper might know the real one, which is the first thing I really did was literally a week into living in this uh, townhouse development, Dogwood Meadows in Edison, New Jersey, I walked around the neighborhood on one day, pulled the flowers out of people's yards, and rang their doorbell and sold the flowers back to them. <laughs> so I'm not super proud of that, but that's the first taste, you know? Um, which, if you think about it, was a pretty smart business model. I didn't really sit on a lot of inventory. The turn on cash was pretty good. Um, so that was my first taste. And then I got really serious about lemonade stands when I was six. Soprano I had a, style, right? Yeah, yeah I, had a, I had six lemonade stands. I literally convinced all my friends in the neighborhood to man and woman the lemonade stands all day. And, uh, and I spent all my time, ironically, making signs and trying to figure out which trees. And, you know, I was, yeah, I mean... I still think that might be one of my great accomplishments. I mean, we literally ran lemonade stands out of those 90 days of that summer between first grade and kindergarten. I mean, like like 50 of the 90 days, I had my friends standing behind a stand for like seven hours. <laughs> so, good sales. Child labor laws yeah. that broke, right? Yeah. Um, and the other thing too, like I wanted to talk about was, uh, fast forward a little bit, um, talk about how you had 30 grand under your bed Mm-hmm. At 14 years, years old. Yeah. And how you, you you did not sell weed. You promised you did not. I promised you keep, I did Because you keep on saying you didn't sell weed. I did not sell weed. Because you're from Jersey, right? I know, so no weed. Okay. Uh, when I was 12, I don't know. You know, looking around the crowd, there's some guys in this age group. Baseball cards completely took over like America with like the 87 tops and you know 87, 88, 89, 90, 91, 92. So I was in that age group. Um, and I started doing baseball card shows in the malls of New Jersey. And you know, that was when I really learned how to become a, I would tell you that I'm 
pretty sure that the foundation of my business success was selling baseball cards when I was 11, 12, 13, 14. Because when you sold cards at a mall or a convention center or a firehouse or whatever the places I did these shows, you would stand behind a table for 11 hours and all you really did was read people, right? Like I basically stood behind a table and I basically just read people and how they were looking at my cases and I would move things. and. You know, I basically still just read people. My whole life is reading people and trying to understand consumer behavior and then reverse engineer how to get your money. And uh, you know, and I think that um, that's what happened. You know, I I, I was making two to three, four thousand dollars a weekend selling baseball cards when I was twelve, and you know that was a great thing for me because I was failing all my classes at that point, and you know it was a nice self-esteem boost to like you know when my teacher would call me up and say I'm so disappointed in you, you know you have so much potential but you've got like a 36 average on this class. It was easy, you know that felt bad, and you know I'm a good guy. I wasn't mad at the teacher. I was mad. I was I felt bad, but it was easy for me like to go back to my desk and be like yeah, but. I made 3,300 bucks this weekend and, <laughs> and prorated, you know, I make $160,000 a year and so, and I only work one or two days a year, you know, and so, uh, yeah. Yeah, so, like, so talk about that where you had failed all your classes and you had mentioned that your uh, mom's friend had tried to make you feel bad because, like, her son was going to my Ivy League. No, no, my friend's mom. Oh, friend's mom, okay, she was, okay. <laughs> no, it was just a story of my life. When I was 15, 16, 17, all my friends started getting accepted to all these good schools, whatever, 17, 16. And there's just one story that has always stuck in my craw. One of my best friends, mom, was proud of him. You know, he was going to a great school, Ivy League school, I get it. She wasn't, I don't think she was really, she, she's a super nice lady. She wasn't trying to get me. But she definitely at this day was extra feeling proud and kind of just, she knew I was a shit student. And uh, she's like, so Gary, I don't know if you heard, Adam's going to, you know, Penn or what, you know, and uh, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just remember the way she delivered it. And I, I just remember we were standing in his driveway playing basketball and the way she delivered it was to get me and I just remember sitting there saying, lady, you have no fucking idea. Your son's gonna work for me one day. You I was gonna ask son? you about that. Is he working for you? No, but he okay. should be. He <laughs> <laughs> should be. Okay, um, so let's let's go fast forward to 1997 <clears throat> where you took took your dad's business yep. and you grew it from you know, 2 million to 60 million. With 3 million. Seven, I'm sorry. Three million, three million I love to. Oh my dad! I want to give him his props. <laughs> um, and you grew that to uh, sixty million in seven years. Yeah. Uh, talk about that. Like you know, you had you had created this wine library TV, and that sort of put you on to. That was 06. I 06, think you okay. know, when you, when my story. A lot of times yeah. people think wine library TV really drove it, but really what drove, ironically, what drove it is much more what I actually talk about. I mean, like the only thing I care about is marketing and doing business in the year that we actually live in. That is my true pet peeve slash POV on the world. Yeah. It's 2014. If everything that you're trying to tell people in the world right now is not mobile first, you're an idiot, right? Like because the eyes and ears in 2014 are consuming more and more on mobile. Like it's just the habits of the current state of the way people buy and think and are, are story told to. Mm -hmm. In 1997, I said to myself, you know, listen, this is 1997, I'm 22 years old. At this point, I've only owned my own computer for a year and a half. I mean, I basically had never used a computer until I was like 19, 20 years old. It's just, a, I grew up in a different time, like, you know, computer class was something we took. You've heard what kind of student I was. I don't know what the fuck I was doing in computer class. I still can't type, right? And so, you know, 
what happened was, it was 1997 and I launched winelibrary.com. I paid some guy $15,000, he ripped me off, he made an HTML site that probably took him two minutes. He claimed it took four weeks. I've learned since then, right? And, and I launched winelibrary.com and I built winelibrary.com on the back of having an e-commerce site when nobody else did. And way more importantly, it was more about 1998 and 99 when I started an email service when nobody was doing that. I mean, email marketing is still being innovated as we know right now. Nobody was doing it. I built up a huge list at the time, 50,000 customers getting open rates that were in 80% yeah, because nobody was, nobody was email marketing. So it wasn't spammed out yet, right? Yeah. So people were, I mean, for all of you that remember 98, 99, like, like you read every email, every word, right? Because you just, that's how we dealt with email back in the day, in the day. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I built it on email marketing and then Google AdWords came out. Nobody was thinking about that in the liquor business. I was, I owned the word wine for five cents before they bumped it to a 10 cent minimum. I mean, I owned wine, first result, for 10 cents on Google AdWords for nine and a half months before somebody bid me up. Mm-hmm. People were just, it was just a different world. Like it wasn't, people were worried about buying ads in the Wine Spectator and yeah. direct mail and like traditional marketing is still something people very much believe in. You can imagine how it was viewed in 99 and people trying to talk about what's the ROI of social media or things of that nature. I mean, people weren't even thinking yeah. about banner retargeting and shit like that. <clears throat> yeah, so um, so I did, I actually went uh, in your old videos, the wine library TV videos and you had this one video where you're like tasting wine on snow. Is that, are you doing that? <laughs> With yeah, your, I mean, with your jets perfectly yeah. on. So was like YouTube really came out, yeah. and my lead developer came up to me. YouTube was like maybe six weeks old, and he came up to me. He's like, "Hey, listen, remember a year ago when you were asking me like how much it would cost if we put wine videos on the website?" So like a year or two earlier, I came to him. I was like, "I want to make videos on the web on the internet." I was like, and then you know he ran the bandwidth costs, and he was like, "Cool, if like nine people watch it, it's eight billion dollars, right?" It was, just, it was just absurd, right? I was like, "Forget it." And so um, he's like, "Remember that? You should check this thing out." And yeah. I looked at YouTube; it just felt super like holy crap. It felt very much like e-commerce. So I was like, "This is gonna be huge." Right. So I in early 2006, I started Wine Library TV. For 19 months, I did that show five days a week, and nobody gave a shit, right? So like when I get emails which I get 50 of them a day for entrepreneurs of like, hey, like I know you always talk about patience, like I've been doing this, it's not working, traction, should I give up and do something else? Inevitably I'll email back and be like, how long have you been doing it? Oh, four months, and I'm like, fuck you. You know, like you want this to be your life and you're giving up after four months? Are you out of your mind? So I did it for 19 months, nobody cared, and during that 19 months, you know, I was starting to understand what was, you know, will it blend was yep. going on and like the Pepsi and Mentos and all that stuff and I was like, what can I do? And it was a huge snowstorm like yesterday in Jersey and I just went outside and taped my episode during the snow. Sure enough, front page dig and all those things and you know, I was trying to ha- growth hack, yeah. you know, or whatever it was. I was trying to understand what would make it reach people outside of this very narrow niche of, you know, hardcore wine And then at that point, how many, how many followers did you have? On, on the show? On the show on, yeah. I don't know. I, one thing, I made a huge mistake about four months into the show. Um, my show was 20 minutes long, and there was a video player called Vidler that let you tag certain spots that YouTube didn't, and I took myself off of YouTube, 
and started using Viddler because I could tag the four wines I did on each episode. And if you wanted to watch the third wine, you could just hit the button and watch the review of the third wine. So I, what I did a really, I mean, that's probably the most critical mistake I've made from a brand building, which was not investing in YouTube all those years. I could have built up a huge following. I kind of let it go. And like, that's the ironic thing, right? Like, I know that I'm a poster child of like people that broke out on video, and I did. I mean, you can go look right now. I mean, you want to TV because I put them on way later. Have a thousand or two thousand <clears throat> views on YouTube. I didn't do it on YouTube. Right. I did it on the website itself. Right. I mean, I, you know, based on the bandwidth cause and some of the stuff that Villa was showing, at that point there was 25,000 a day. Got up to about 150,000 an episode. Yeah. Nothing too crazy by today's standards, but in 06 and 07 and 08, people weren't watching you, you know, online videos like we do now, and they were 25-minute videos. But that, but that sort of put you on the map, and then you, uh, you wrote Crush It, and that really gave you... Twitter was what really changed my career. Okay. Twitter came out again. So YouTube came out, I was like, yes, and like, I was right about like, e-commerce, and I was right about SEM, and I was right about YouTube. And then I started learning about tech a little bit. I started reading TechCrunch, and then I see YouTube sells for $1.9 billion. And it writes about angel investors and like how these people made money. And I was like, fuck. That seems like a really interesting way to, like, I'm right about a lot of things. Yes, it's growing my business, but that guy put in 50,000 bucks and made like $90 billion. I like that. So I promised myself that the next thing that I saw that was like that, I would try to angel invest. So we'll talk more about the angel investing. So Twitter came along and it just, (laughs) bless you. Twitter came along, everybody thought it was stupid. I immediately was like completely obsessed with it. Um, I jumped all in. And you know, for a long time there before Ashton came along and real people went on it, you know, I was in the top 30 followed people on Twitter. I spent eight hours a day on it. I answered everybody's questions. I just completely went all in. I used surmise.com that later got bought by Twitter to search people bring, yeah. to use Cabernet. And then like 80 people said the word Cabernet on Twitter that day. And I would literally reply to everyone and be like, which one? How'd you like it? When do you go to Napa? And not trying to sell them on anything, just trying to establish, you know, it was like a cocktail party. It was like this, except I'm giving them a presentation now. When it's over, we can all talk. And that's something I love. And so Twitter was really the, you know, that was very, very big for me because that's when, you know, Kevin Rose and Dignation called out my show and all of a sudden there was these 30 people that were like much further ahead of everybody else in followers and they were all from like tech TV and like from the world and there was like this wine guy and everybody was fascinated by it. And then Conan's producers reached out and that changed my career. Traditional media. You know, Conan O'Brien's producers emailed me and like, do you want to be on the show? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, who's doing this in my office? <laughs> I was like, yeah. And uh, sure enough, a car showed up and they took me to the studio and the first time I was ever on TV, I was just pushed out and did a skit with Conan. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's amazing, <laughs> my gosh. Um, so fast forward to 2009, yep. uh, you're starting Vay- VaynerMedia yes. with your brother AJ. Mm-hmm. By the way, how's it like working with your brother? I have two brothers myself. I mean, is you it know, one day you're like, Fist fight, and then the next day you're like, all oh, cool? Is it like no. that? No. It's like, yeah. one day I want to kiss him on the face, and the next day I want to kiss him on the face. <laughs> you know, my brother's my best friend, and, you know, he's 11 years younger than me. And so, you know, we have almost, and my dad's a workaholic and not superly emotionally unbelievable. He's a little bit of a different introvert kind of style. So my brother, you know, my brother, when I was 17, he was six, right? We have, we have a very kind of like fatherly, brotherly relationship. You know, we're very, very close. 
I've been training him in entrepreneurship since he was like eight. I mean, poor guy when he was like nine. He has his own lemonade stands? and No, because no. we lived in Hunterdon County, New Jersey. That was all like farm country at that yeah. point. There was no cars driving by us. But when he was like nine, we started spending every single Saturday waking up at four o'clock in the morning to go to flea markets and garage sales and then he would post everything and flip it on eBay. Make some fucking money too. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so yeah, we're very close. It's a, it's, I loved working with my dad. Yeah. Um, I equally love working with my brother. Yeah. I hope I get a chance to work with my children. Family businesses, if you over communicate and you care about the other person more than you care about yourself, are the single best thing you can ever do. Family business sounds, I was gonna go into that, but. Um, so why did you get out of the wine business completely? I mean, you could've, I mean, honestly, you could've created a Because of liquor like, loss. Liquor loss? Because of liquor loss. Nothing kills entrepreneurship more than bad rules. And the liquor industry has shit rules. Yeah. The end, can't ship everywhere, politics. You don't think it's a disruptable industry though? Like, you know. Becoming of course I do, it's why I did it, yeah. but on the flip side, I know that one day we got a letter from Texas and we couldn't ship there anymore because the retailers that we were taking business from paid the politicians and they changed the law and they gave them for $30,000 in kickbacks under the table, I lost $4.9 million in sales in one minute. And after fighting it for 20 years of your life, you get frustrated. And so the liquor industry, you can go fuck yourself, liquor industry. <laughs> okay, no, I'm not talking about our sponsor. No, not the sponsor. She's right behind the camera, too. She's like, no, that was, that was I'm not going to come back here. That was like, you know, it's really sad, right? Like, I think about it from, like, a net neutrality or anything else that's going on. You know, it's sad. You know, ultimately what happened was I just didn't think that I could accomplish. I do not want my upside or hard work or all the effort that I put in controlled by a couple of human beings. And that's liquor laws. Prohibition came. It's state-by-state state regulated. There's a ton of shady stuff. It's a completely, it just ultimately sucked the energy out of me. Yeah. And it's the liquor industry's loss because I would have been a great entrepreneur and done a lot of great things for the industry and they deserve to lose. So if you want to get into liquor business, maybe think again. Um, what was the most single, most important advice your dad gave you growing up? So, hands down, the best piece of advice my dad gave me was that. My dad is from the old country. Right, and I'm a storyteller bullshitter. When my dad got me at 14, I was willing to lie about everything to make a sale. Anything and everything, everything in sight, I would make up. People would walk in, I was like 15, I looked nine, they're like, have you had this one? I'm like, yeah, fucking awesome, my case. I mean, whatever it took, right? My dad was very much the other way. My dad is literally on one strike policy. If you lie, if you embellish to my dad one time, and it's not true, you're out. So it's Soviet stuff, so you have a Soviet dad. I mean, it's a really sad living, right? Like, he, has, he doesn't like anybody, because everybody does it, right? But, but, it was really good for me, because I was the other way, and it really started a course correction for me that ultimately put me to the finish line because of social media and the transparent world, but it started with my dad, and, uh, and I'm so grateful, because, you know, for a lot of you here that either don't know me as you're consuming me right now, or for the ones that did, and you can think back to the first time you were aware of me, listen, there's a, you know, I am very car salesman bullshit. You know, like, there's a 15% of the audience that doesn't like me at first, and if it wasn't for my dad, those people would have stayed not liking me, and the other 85 would have converted, whereas because of my dad, 
the 85% that do like me and the energy, I convert the other 15% because I back up my sizzle with my steak. Right. And that has a lot to do with the fact that I've been honest and have done the right things and I really owe that to my dad. You can thank, to your, you can thank your dad right there. Yeah, I love you, dad. <laughs> Let's go talk about the book. Okay. Uh, jab, 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 right hook. Okay. So uh, what is the book? Mm -hmm. What inspired you mm -hmm. to write it? Mm -hmm. And why did you name it Jab, 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 Right Hook? Uh, the book's about producing content on social networks. I believe that the most cost-attractive way to communicate to the end user in today's world is by producing content that is native to the platforms that most people are spending their time on. And so I'm a humongous fan of producing content for Instagram and Pinterest and Facebook and Twitter and Tumblr and Vine. If, as long as you know what you're doing and who you're trying to reach and understand the nuances. Uh, VaynerMedia's been doing this for four years. Uh, I feel that most people use social networks as distribution instead of platforms that natively storytell. So I think most people write an article or want to do something or have an e-commerce site and then put a link on Twitter or Facebook or Google Plus or what have you and just drive people towards it. I don't believe that's the way to do it. I believe the way to do it is to respect the platform, understand that real pictures work on Instagram, infographics work on Pinterest, which hashtags work on Twitter, blah, blah, blah. And so I one day got into a rabbit hole of reading the negative reviews of Crush It and Thank You Economy, my first two books on Amazon. And it got me really pissed. And like, let's just like, I don't know, I'm like, I don't know why I was doing this, why I was pissing myself off, but I was reading every one-star review, two-star review on Amazon, just getting fucking all worked up. And, and the basic theme was, these are two great books, or like, if they were willing to, the basic theme was, this is fine, but these are why books. Why? I wanted a how-to. Why didn't he show me? Like, I know he's winning. Show me, Gary. So I was like, fuck it, I'll show you. So, so the new book is a little bit of words and 100 case studies of good and bad content. I wanted to write a how-to book. Yep. That's what I set out to do with this book. Yep. I feel that social media reminds me right now of where e-commerce was right before the bubble burst, right? E-commerce was happening in 99, 2000, 2001. Wall Street collapse, all the overvalued companies collapse, and everybody abandons. Like, like there was re like go and Google the articles written in 2001 about the internet. They're pretty funny. Like people having real solid arguments that that the internet is dead because the stock market crashed. I mean, it was ludicrous. But that's what I feel like about social right now. It's been so hyped and so talked about for the last six or seven years, and most people suck at it because all they do is push on it. And I feel like there's an interesting time now to like talk about it again. I think actually it's never been more interesting for me to market on social than right now because Facebook's doing organic reach drops, everybody's being cynical, but the upside has never been greater. I mean, we're converting, like for the clients that I work with, for my businesses, I'm converting greater than ever. My book is sold dramatically more than my last two because of the execution I've done within social for it. And so I just thought it was the right time to write this book. Um, okay, but uh, so because when I saw the title and then I, yeah. I read the book and you know the translation of the title jab 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 right hook really means give give give, 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 give and ask, ask right you know most people are just asking for your business on social or bragging about themselves it's just very self you know and I just feel like you have to give first I mean I love the leverage of giving in life I mean it's not that I'm Mother Teresa I just I secretly believe it's leverage like if you're willing to and you can give first in whatever manner including like this interview right like I don't have unlimited time but you give and you give and you gain leverage 
That's what I've executed in social. In 2012, on all my social channels, I asked for nothing. I put out content and responded to a billion people's questions. In 2013, second half, I started throwing right hooks because my book was out. I converted better because I built up equity. I mean, you're willing to do more for your parents or your best friends than you are for your acquaintances. You're willing to do more for your acquaintance than you are for a stranger. That's just how society works. Um, and so that's what I did. And the reason I use boxing metaphor is I think social media is a science. I mean, I know data things like what primary colors I should use on the bottom of left of a picture on Instagram to over-index on likes. Like, there's a science thing. I know what time to post on Facebook. How many letters to use on a Facebook status update if I'm doing it after 6 p.m. that will over-index on shareability? It's a science to me, where most people don't think social is a science. It is a very scientific thing. And that's why I think boxing and social media are so similar. The masses just think it's like, I'm eating cheese, I'm walking my dog, here's a picture of my kid in Halloween. It's not that for me. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I like that, you know, give value to people first. And I mean, you had said this, give value to people to first, uh, give your users value, and then guilt them to, to, to buy from you, right? Yeah, I mean, listen, if you give a ton, and a ton, and a ton, and a ton, you're in a better position to ask. Right? But I think one thing I want to clarify, because I think some people that when they hear this thesis of mine can get real cynical. You know, I think the cynical view is like, oh, you're just doing good things to get something in return. For me, it's you give, and it gives you permission to ask. For me, as a business, especially startup, you know, I do a lot of angel investing. I do a lot of, you know, meeting people. I think we're clearly living through bullshit entrepreneurs right now. Everybody thinks they're an entrepreneur. I promise you you're not. You know, and that doesn't mean you, but, like, I mean, the, the mass amount of people that aren't. You know, because Zucks goes to Harvard and builds Facebook. Now every single Ivy League kid, everyone, thinks they're an entrepreneur. Where, mainly, if, if you look at it, you know, from my point of view, they're just kids that figured out how to work the school system, right? And so... I'm living through a world right now where I'm seeing, I've never seen anything like what we're living through now, which is literally everybody thinks they're an entrepreneur. And there's this entitlement that comes along with it that has been stunning to me. I've always lived my life under the notion of the customer's always right, I deserve nothing, and I have to over-deliver. In our startup ecosystem, in this room, in this vibe, there's this stunning kind of entitlement that I started a startup and like I should have customers. Like, like, it's insane to me, and I think there's a huge entitlement. And so, to me, by giving a lot, it just gives you the ability to ask. It doesn't mean you get. And so, I think that's something people have to learn. I mean, if you do not bring value, your product will not succeed. And the amount of products that are being built right now that do not provide any value, they're features. They're features. And we have a real issue at hand. So, actually, this is good. Because um, this, this is a good segue to the value of hard work mm -hmm. on social media because uh, over and over you say that, you know, back in the 80s everything was scalable, right? Email marketing, banner ads, SEO. Now we're going more into a unscalable uh, marketing technique, right? Which is the whole jab, 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 interact, give, give, give. What we're right? referring to is... I've been on this big kick. I think we got tricked by digital media. You know, if you look at what first happened with the internet, everything was so scalable. Email marketing really scaled. It was, I mean, 
I went from, you listen, when your family business does what we did, and then in a couple years it's doing four times that, and the way you're doing it is by pressing a button after you write a couple things, and all the orders come in, you don't even know how to breathe, right? Like, the way I used to do business was on Saturday, when retail got busy, I would stand on the floor for 14 hours, and if I sold you an extra case of wine, Every person, like boom, like that's how I like 30% up. Now all of a sudden there's this email thing and I'm just gathering all this data and I'm writing like Opus One, now available, $29.99, press a button, 80% open rates, nobody else doing it, and like we're doing like $80,000 in sales in an hour. It was just like, right? And then SEO and SEM with search, right? I mean, you buy the keywords and you're just getting customer after customer and you're not doing anything except being smart strategically, but once you set it up, it does its thing. And then landing page conversion, and then banner retarget, everything is quite scalable. And then the internet matures and this social media thing comes along. And it's predicated on actually being human. It actually is a throwback. It's actually you have to try. You actually have to read somebody's thing and be like, no, Pinot Noir. And like you have to look really work and it's throwing everybody off because all the best e- email marketers uh, or landing page conversion guys and gals or you know SEM or all this were used to being smart and converting and now you know the market's changing slash there's this other thing and everybody poo-poos it because it doesn't do as well. It's not as easy because it's human. And that's it's awesome. You know what, it's awesome to me. I think it's great. I think it's awesome. I think you should work hard. I think all great things are worth, you know, hard work. Well, I mean, this is sort of like the argument, yeah, you know, with with the the entitlement culture, and you know, sort of the, everybody wants to be spoon fed, and you know, you know, I, I deserve this business, and you're saying, no, you have to earn it. You have to jab, 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 and you have to do the right hook. And the market's the market, right? Like, like, sorry, sorry that like somebody came along and priced like, I have Vine agency. Right now, I have an agency with a partner where we represent 20 of the 30 top Vine celebrities, right? And my partner comes into my office today and goes, oh, there's these guys that are undercutting prices. We should be getting five times more for these Vine videos. And I'm like, sorry. Like, you know, like, okay. Like, you know, the market's the market. Like, if they're offering it and the clients think it's worth it and it's, you know, equal of value, then we can't be five times more. I mean, the market's the market. Like, I hate when people cry about things like that, right? Like, like sorry that innovation's coming. It, listen, innovation doesn't give a fuck about you, me, or anybody in this room. If you do not ride it, it will crush your face. And that's it. Like, like I wish my emails would get opened at 80% and 61% click through. I wish, but guess what? Everybody else figured out that email marketing worked and now there's nine billion liquor stores that do it and it's not as interesting. Like, it's just, you have to evolve. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, like, I, I know that a lot of people wanna get some really just like juicy techniques and so let's, let's talk about the storytelling. Okay. Um, having the content, respecting the context, right? So yes. this is sort of, your whole book is about this. Um, you had said that you sold your wine at cost. I did. But you sold your store story at a premium. Yes. And this is how we should approach marketing, all of us, right? I, I mean, sell our story. I mean, you should do whatever you want. Yeah. Here's something I believe in. If something's a commodity and everybody has it, it becomes a price game, right? So like every wine that I knew that everybody else had, I just sold it at cost, dead cost, invoice cost. I don't mean like how much my labor cost on top of it. I'm talking I paid $7.99 on the invoice for it, you paid $7.99. Because Jersey was a place where you couldn't sell below cost by law, 
that pretty much gave us the best prices. Thus, that brought people in. And then when they came in to buy Kendall Jackson or Santa Margarita or Silver Oak or Joseph Phelps insignia, I would grab them and tell them the romantic story of the dog that ran around this vineyard in Paso. And they'd be like, oh, that's so cool. And they'd buy a case of that. And that one was predicated on my storytelling ability and you know picking good wine. And that one I made money on. And to me, at some level, in all of your businesses, you have to understand what's the commodity and what's not. And what's not is where you need to storytell because that's your biggest upset. Okay, so let's let's get let's get it right into an example here. So I am a startup, okay, selling you know Uber for uh, for home cleaning services. Um, I want to do I want to start doing the jabs, right? So yep. start creating the micro content as you as you always say micro content. I, I set up a WordPress blog, right? Okay. Start creating topics or writing topics, like becoming a media company, as you said, right? Okay. All this have to be sort of become a media company. Fine. So let's 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 step through this. Like make word make a WordPress blog. Well, let's take a big, let's like, take a big step back. Yeah. Right. If you're clean, if you first you have to know who you're reaching. Sure. Right. First you have to really think about who you're trying to get to. So you have to start demoing out your business. Okay. So. You know, if it's 25 year olds to 32 year olds that are single, that live, you, know, you have to start really understanding who you're trying to reach. Okay. To me, if you're a startup, if you've gotten any funding, you start buying, to me, the first place to go is to buy Facebook ads and to buy the actual customer. This is where people are confused about the value of Facebook. I think it's smart to buy your target audience to follow you because not to offer anything, not to offer $20 for free because then you'll get, I mean that, but let me explain why. Because uh, at least on Facebook, here it's great, I think it's brilliant, but in a Facebook world, you're gonna get the lowest common denominator fan that's gonna follow you just for the offer, right? And so what you wanna do is just get people that wanna follow you just for what you have, right? And then once you get them in, you start marketing to them. I mean, doing content marketing on WordPress is great, but you're running a marathon, right? And so for startups, it's scary because you start getting dividends a year or two in, you might not be in business. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of things I would do. The first thing I would do is go to every single apartment, rental, kind of anything that could segue young professionals, blogging network and offer to blog, you know, now I know Matt came out and said no more guest blogging or what have you, but yeah. you know, I would guest blog, I would, you've gotta get yourself out in the community. I mean, the, the other thing is Twitter search. I think the quickest way to traction Twitter. is Twitter search. I would literally search people that say like, my, like people literally tweet my apartment's a mess. It's probably a good person to like talk to, right? So, so, so in that case, like would you like search for a hashtag? No, I would search for the real word. Real word, okay. Yeah, the, the real world messy. search. I mean, to me, that's a great way to go one-on-one. -on -one. But okay. it's, you know, to me, there's a lot of ways to go about it, but you've gotta find your unique place. But I, I would say, here's a good one. I would tell you an incredibly interesting place would be Pinterest and make infographics right. about like the cleaning part of it and things of that nature. It's just storytelling. You've gotta reach consumers. Uh, so yeah, that, that's, this is what, what I wanted to, the format. You know, WordPress, talk, you know, talk about a, a topic that, that your demographic's interested and then tweet Right, have sort of like the value proposition pointing back to your blog. Yeah, but before you tweet, yeah. if you're tweeting to nobody, it doesn't give nobody gives a shit, right? Okay. So you have to actually build a community. Okay. And so like, again, listen, here's what's great about social. If you don't have a lot of money, it's incredible. If social is the great equalizer to money. If you raise 11 million dollars, we'll fucking buy ads and convert, right? And by the way, always do both. It's a mix, but to get a community, you've got to first go to Twitter search. I mean, if you start your, your get 
starts an, a Twitter community has 19 people following it because it's like friends and family, you can't like, it's not gonna do anything. I mean, when I, my Twitter profile, I literally spent nine hours a day on surmise. It's how I got my followers. You know, you know, I got it by answering people's questions about what red wine to drink or they were going to Napa and slowly but surely those hundred, those 200 become your base and they start retweeting by hand back then and all that. So yeah. I think the first thing you have to do is grab your first 500 person audience and the only way to do that is through sweat and blood and okay. you know, yeah, grinding. I mean, yeah, so the, the content in context, like you had said Tumblr in the past, animated guests would probably be good on the Tumblr. Uh, Pinterest high quality professional pictures, right? So a, a nice house uh, that you know, women probably want to like pin it because they want their apartment to look like that. You know, in, Instagram, you said info, infographics. Instagram's more real life pictures. Infographics for Pinterest. Oh, Pinterest, right, right, sorry. Uh, and then uh, Facebook. Yes. Facebook. Facebook, you can really do anything you yeah, want. The I truth thought. is, I mean, obviously animated GIFs don't work on that platform, but for yeah. Facebook, you can do a whole lot of things. I mean, listen. I don't know how many of you guys are using Facebook dark posts right now, but if any of you have ad dollars to spend, Facebook dark posts, how many people are familiar with that term? Great, so, great, this makes me pumped. So Facebook right now has a product called dark posts. I think the official term is unpublished posts. You can literally target anybody on Facebook. You can literally right now, even if they're fans of your page or not, target people that are 21 to 24, that are fans of this, that fucking ate cheeseburgers on Wednesday. I mean, the data goes deep, right? And I would tell you right now, that's probably, so for example, you know, if you're thinking about cleaning apartments, is that what we're talking about, cleaning apartments? I didn't catch it. So over there, anybody, any yeah. so over there. That's cleaning apartments, right? Yeah. So like, to me, that's really interesting because you could really target people that live in New York City that literally graduated from college in May. Like you can get so granular to people that you would think need to get their apartment cleaned. You can, you can go older if you want it. And the messaging is different, right? Like if you're gonna put a picture about your cleaning service to 31 to 40 year old Upper East Side moms, you're gonna have a different story to tell them than 22 to 24 year old dudes in Brooklyn. You know, like you can go with different, and you can target even if they're fans or not fans of your site. That has been the biggest conversion funnel. Facebook dark posts with the proper content, contextual to who you're targeting, has been the biggest conversion funnel ads for me since Google AdWords 2002. Wow. I mean, Seth Godin gave me a great quote for my book, right? Wrote up a nice blog post. I immediately had my designer create a little picture with Seth's beautiful bald head with a little quote from it and with, you know, that's the picture and the link was, and here's Gary's book on Amazon with a link and I ran that picture against people that were fans of Seth Godin on Facebook. It dismantled. It killed. I mean, the conversion was ludicrous. Like in two minutes, my book went, this before it came out, like from 1,000 on Amazon to like 98. Right, so that's gonna work. Anyway. <laughs> um, so, so what sort of tools can we use? You know, there's a lot of startups here. What sort of tools can we use right now? So I'll, I'll write off, off some, maybe you're familiar, you're familiar with some of them. I'm 33 Across, Brandwatch, uh, Hootsuite, Google Analytics Buffer, local, local response. Uh, Salesforce market, Marketing Cloud, it's, it's ringing a bell here, no? Yeah, I've heard okay, of all of them. Sure. You know, like, you... here's what I think about tools, right? I really don't know how to use a power drill, right? Does it work? Yes. But you know, the ROI of a piano, to me, is zero. Because I don't know how to play one. The ROI of a piano to Billy Joel has been over a billion dollars. 
So tools are great, but everybody wants to sit around and be like, oh, we're gonna get Huge Suite or Buddy Media or Wildfire, right? And it's gonna be awesome. I mean, Google Analytics, if you spend your whole life on it from an e-commerce standpoint, is like the most unbelievable thing you've ever seen. Google Analytics, not because we're in this building, is absurd. It fucking works. <laughs> but you have to spend 10 hours a day going through all that data, testing, doing all the variable things that you have to, and people are lazy and they don't. Got that, Google? <laughs> so, so to me, all these tools are fine, but if you don't use them properly, and very honestly, most of these platforms, Facebook, Twitter, what have you, you use them natively, they're just fine. Hootsuite lets you blast out to all the networks the same stuff, completely against what I believe in, because you're not making content that's contextual to the platform. So, you know. Yep. Um, could you talk about the, um, in the book, Yep. something that you wanted to write, but you didn't? I don't, I don't know what this is from. Oh. The, so what, what? There was a lot of shit that I didn't write. No, no. Uh, what, 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 what kind of point did you want to uh, that you wish you you wrote in the book? That I don't know what did. interview you're digging from. I really don't remember. Okay. I apologize. Okay. I, uh, I mean, like, here are some of the things I didn't write about. Like, yeah. I, I, you know, I wish the book timing was a little bit different. For example, LinkedIn has massively changed as a platform since I finished the book. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know and has become dramatically more valuable and where they're going with company pages is really interesting to me and if you understand the psychology of a CFO when they're on LinkedIn and you know how to story tell to them, even if you're selling wine or, or cleaning or whatever it may be. So LinkedIn would have been interesting for me to go a little bit further on. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot, of, you know, it's tough to write a book about current events because everything's shifting so quickly, right? Facebook organic reach has dipped since the book has come out. I mean, there's a lot going on. Okay. Well, let me ask you a better Please. question. <laughs> um, what was your favorite um, case study in the book? My favorite case study in the book was probably the Lil Wayne Facebook post where I said, congratulations, Wheezy, you're the first person to turn Facebook into MySpace. Because you know, he was just spamming the living shit out of his community. The reason it's my favorite is I remember when I was writing it, I was like, oh man, I hope Birdman doesn't kill me. <laughs> Sorry, little hip hop joke. <laughs> okay. Um, so um, let's go fast forward here, like uh, your angel investing, because uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people very interested in that. I mean, you've got some really amazing. Um, deal flow uh, when you had started. You 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 were one of the investors in Twitter and Facebook. Is that correct? Two thousand eight. In Twitter, I bought the uh, original CFO's stock, Blaine Cook, when he left the company. Okay. So that was two thousand seven. Okay. Which was good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Facebook was two thousand nine. I made a video in two thousand eight on GaryVaynerchuk.com that said Facebook should be worried about this thing called Twitter. It went viral in Facebook. They invited me to fly out, and I spoke in front of the whole company. Zucks liked what I said. Yeah. We became friendly, and I, in 2009, I bought my Facebook stock from Mark's parents, so that was good. <laughs> uh, in 2009, I invested in Tumblr. Right, that was really good. Well, so so this is so I want to just kind of rattle off some of your investments, but uh, start, starting for 2009, Sim, Simply Geo, which got bought out by Urban Air, Air, Airship. Hack you hired. I lost money. Oh, you did. Okay, Gowalla and Karma. Koala was an accu hire. I broke even. Okay. Karma was great because that was Facebook 
uh, you guys remember Karma, the, the gift app? Mm-hmm. Love that thing. Yeah. That was bought by Facebook. That was very good. Right, right. And then, and then Wildfire, which probably... Wildfire was a big win. That was well, bought by Google. Google cash. And, all and, cash. Right, Love and all milk. Milk, too? Was milk the same way? Because milk got bought Yeah, made a little bit of money. Okay. All right. Um, reportive with LinkedIn and Birchbox and Pat. So my question would be to you is... What sort of like what what is your favorite invest you know investment themes you know going forward? Entrepreneurs, I bet on the jockey, not the horse. Every time. So if you're gonna write a fifty thousand dollar check today, what would that startup look like? I don't give a fuck. It's just how do I feel about the hustler? Got it. So you have to meet the you have to meet the founder. You have to shake his hand, see the fire in his belly, or her hand. Her My hand, favorite yeah, investment, sorry. bar none, is Birchbox. They got a bunch of no's. I sat in a coffee shop at Starbucks somewhere in Midtown. I sat down with Katya and Haley, and in four seconds I was like, I'm in. And they got all emotional, excited, and they were like, we got so many no's in a row, Gary, you don't know how much this means. And I walked home that day, it was a summer day. It was like 40 blocks from home, I was like, let me get some exercise in. And somewhere around 20 blocks in, I was like, why the fuck did they get so many no's? This is so obvious. And it was the first time I was ever like on this female entrepreneurial show, I was like, you know, I wonder if it was two ugly dudes if they would have got yeses, right? And it was just interesting, you know, because my mom is my hero, my daughter is my life, you know. And so, you know, I'm, I'm a you know, wildfire is Victoria Ransom. Like yeah. I've done, ext- I'm probably two of my. I mean, my female entrepreneur-led investments are at the top of my ROI. Hmm. Awesome. Um. So. Let's talk about predictions because you had predicted that um, Facebook was going to buy Instagram. That I happened. Um, so let's let's talk about more predictions. What, what, what you have? Uh, <laughs> who do you think is Pinterest going to be bought out? Um, no, I think that ship sailed. I think Pinterest. I I always thought that Google would consider Pinterest. Pinterest yeah. is very Google. Yeah. You know, it's intent to buy. If you think about what makes Google AdWords a great business, is search, not always, but has a lot of intent to buy. Pinterest is intent to buy. When I look at the data of like what females pin, it's either what they wanna buy or what they wish they could buy. You know, and there's other things, but there's a lot of it in there. Um, I think it's gonna be a very, very, very big company. So very, think probably, I think it's gonna be way bigger than everybody in this room thinks. So they're really probably gonna IPO. And I think that, I think if the economy stays well, I don't I don't fuck with Wall Street. Yeah. But if the economy stays well, that to me feels like an IPO company because it's already raised at such a. I mean, where are we now? Three billion on yeah. that thing. Yeah. These these things are getting so big. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. I think I think, I think Uber is gonna go. I, I think that's close to IP. Like I think. In a year yeah. or two, that's going to be a huge one. That's a real cash business. Um, what about Foursquare? I think Dennis and team have to really figure out how to make it a business. And so, um, but I think they will. I'm a big fan of Dennis. I hope so. I was never a Foursquare user, um, even though I believe in the check-in concept. I think, yeah. I think check-in's a passive game. I don't think we want to do it. I think we're going to want our device to do it for us. Um, but I think, because um, I think privacy is overrated. Yeah, and yeah. so, um, it will be interesting to see what happens with those guys. I, I think that, what I'm, you know, I'm not great at predicting. Here's why I predicted Instagram. Yeah. I just know that pictures are the killer app, right? And I think, that I, I just assumed that Facebook knew that as well. And, and um, I'm just a fan of, I think Mark's a grossly underestimated CEO. I think he'll play out to be, one of the great CEOs. I think he really gets it. I was hoping you can give us some good predictions, but I'll make this one easy. What do you? Who's gonna? Who's gonna be the uh, the winner of the Super Bowl? 
You know what's so funny about this? I'm probably gonna get it wrong with one of two teams. Here's what I can definitely say. I'm so fucking happy it's not the Patriots. You can't even imagine. <laughs> um, I hope the Broncos win because one of my best friends is a Broncos fan. But I think Seattle, I don't know. I mean, I'll go with Seattle. Okay. Okay, that's great. Um, and um, who do you think, I mean, have you been following some of the, the social media uh, like marketing for the Super Bowl ads? So who do you think would be a winner? You know, I think after last year's Oreo tweet that right. just like changed, I mean that was, that changed, when that happened, before it started getting hyped, I literally emailed my entire company and said our business is about to change and it did. I mean that's what we do for a living, we do real time content. I think everybody's gonna be waiting, I mean, I think you're gonna see a lot of bad shit. I think you're gonna see every brand try to do something about what just happened on the play before it went to commercial. Everybody's gonna be reaching and trying to replicate it. I don't think it's about that. I mean I'm sure plenty of brands will do well, I'm sure 80 of my brands are, I'm sure my teams are sitting in the office right now strategizing, but I think we'll see some average work at best. I'm not, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think that's the one place, Super Bowl is the one time I think it's worth running a TV commercial. So I'm a little bit more curious what happens there because people are actually paying attention to the commercials as sport, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so we're gonna open up to Q&A. Uh, and so uh, before I open this up, uh, what, so this is sort of like the last question. There's going to be another last question after Q&A. But if you were 15 years ago sitting in front of, in front of a badass thought leader, author, um, what sort of advice would you have wanted to hear, hear from, that, from that guy? Nothing. Nothing? Okay. I'm very weird that way. Honestly, my biggest flaw is I'm just completely all and consumed in my own brain. I, I've read like four, I, if, after I write two more books, I'm gonna write as many books as I've read. My, my biggest strength and weakness, <laughs> my biggest strength and weakness is my lack of education. I have too much ego. Like I don't want advice from anybody. I have zero mentors. I'm just in my own brain. I'd much rather, much rather, look at the front screen of every one of your iPhones or Android devices. I'd rather see the front screen of everybody's phone in here than get advice from anybody. I don't give a shit about advice. I wanna see behavior. Okay. And, and you have sort of um, a 10-book deal with, with HarperCollins, right? That's what was reported That's, when I wrote it. Okay. What, I mean, it wasn't going to go into That's true, but yeah. what the contract said was if Crush It hit a certain threshold, I was able to opt out, yeah. which it did. Okay. So if you ever look, if, you, if any of you are so awesome and you have all three of them, you'll see the first one, it says Harper Studios, but the last two have been Harper Business. Okay. So um, I, I, don't, I do have to write one more. The Jab, 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 Right Hook... I, I signed a two book deal, yeah. so I do have to write one more. I've it's been actually gonna... thinking about writing a book called Crushed It. I have like, I have, I have literally like 5,000 emails that I've saved of people that read the book and have had awesome things happen to them. So I feel kind of lazy and I'm like, fuck it, I can just interview these 5,000 people and just bang it out. I'm actually no, pe- really gonna do that, I think. Okay, uh, we'll open up for Q&A. So, um, all right, Jack, here you go. Thanks. Uh, you said that uh, privacy is overrated, and with your social presence, yep. it's very clear that you're very much about reaching out to yep. everyone and anyone. Yes. Do you have a platform that you disconnect with an inner circle? Yes, Path. Path is the only place my wife lets me post pictures of our children. So, like, I think privacy is overrated, but my wife doesn't, and thus, if she doesn't want our children everywhere, then they're not going to be, right? And so, here's what I mean by, just so I clarify, privacy is overrated. We, in our actions, prove that we don't care that much about privacy. 
We just do it every day. It's what we do. And the reason we don't is actually something that I find massively fascinating. I believe the reason that we don't care that much about privacy is because of three things. Number one, it's about what happens, right? The things we really care about is the health and well-being of our friends and family and ourselves and our money, right? How many people here have been hit by credit card fraud? Raise your hand now, raise it high. Okay, about 30% of the room, right? If when you were hit by credit card fraud, you didn't get your money back, we'd really give a fuck about privacy, right? But since you do get it back, yeah, you might be inconvenienced, but all the convenience that comes up, we care about our time and our convenience more than our privacy because the truth is when MySpace came out, everybody was like, don't let your kids on MySpace because they're gonna get raped at the mall, right? Like, I don't know if you guys remember that. That was like literally the conversation. Meanwhile, since over the last 10 years, if you look at the data, we've gotten much safer because every one of us is a media company, we all have phones on us, it's harder to kidnap somebody in the middle of the day, right? Because everybody can take out their phone and take a picture and make a video. I mean, that's just the truth, you know? And so, what, what's interesting to me is that I think people are the most underrated brand in the world. I think the human being is the number one underrated brand, here's why. Mainstream media for the last 80 years on the news has reported and story told to us about the bottom .00001% of our society. The people that kill and do all these wrong things. Meanwhile, when you look, think about the damage that we can all do to each other right now is scary. But we just don't do it. And that's why I think inherently we know that. And I think that that's why our actions are, I'll value my time over my privacy because I really can't get hurt. And of course it happens, but you know. Next question. So there's a hundred different social media platforms that are out there, right? And you're new to it, so where do you start? You start where you start based on what you're trying to accomplish. Okay. So like, I would ask you what you're trying to accomplish. Because if you're starting and you sell a new sneaker that you've invented to 12 to 18 year olds, you start on Vine, Snapchat, and Instagram. Like, but if you're starting and you're selling to 42 year old females, you go on Pinterest and Facebook. You start where who you want to get to is, and that's, you reverse engineer it. Got it? Cool. Yeah. Next question. Hi, uh, I was wondering uh, how close to saturation do you think Facebook is, Facebook marketing is? <sighs> email was for... Yeah, I mean, email open rates have collapsed over the last 36 months. I mean, Facebook, Facebook's got its own headaches. I mean, listen, I think Facebook dropping reach on everybody is the best thing Facebook could do. It's why we still like it to some degree. I know that 22 and under doesn't. I get that. But here's how I think about Facebook. You know how when you're, and a lot of you are still in a young demo, but like when you're 18 to 28, 32, whatever you want to call it, in your younger years, maybe before you're married, your number one job is to go to like all the new restaurants and the new clubs. You're an adventurer. You go to all these different things. When you get older, especially when you get married, you start going to your favorite places, right? You go look at a 40-year-old's habits now, they've got their four restaurants, right? And so that's what I think Facebook is. I'm trying to figure out what the age is, but there's some age, and I'm gonna call it somewhere between 28 and 33, that those people are not going anywhere. Because, I mean, your 42-year-old aunt is not leaving Facebook anytime soon, right? Because all everything's been mapped, and so, I think it's close, but what Facebook has a huge advantage of is targeting, right? Like, and if, if they just figure out, I mean, I think the most brilliant, I mean, listen, I think the most brilliant thing Facebook is doing is having edge rank. I think Twitter needs it. 
Twitter's a huge fire hose. I mean, if you look at the data on what Twitter's doing and what Facebook's doing, Twitter's noisier, right? Because we don't cut the people we follow. It's a habit that we don't do. So Facebook's doing it for us. We could all benefit from Twitter looking at the data and unfollowing for us the people that we haven't favorited, retweeted, or replied to in the last year. You would all like Twitter better. (laughs) And so I'm not sure you know, to really answer you, it will. I mean, the last line of this book is everything I just talked about will be ruined by marketers. It's what we do. So Facebook's been ruined by marketers. Instagram's gonna be ruined by marketers. I mean, Jelly comes out in two minutes and I put GE on Jelly in one second, my client, and articles are like, Jelly's ruined. I mean, things are getting ruined in 20 minutes now, right? I mean, so I think that, um, I think it's still much more viable than people think. I'm actually pumped that everybody's right. I mean. Every article's now like, the kids don't like Facebook, right? (laughs) Meanwhile, I go to all these brands and they're like, we don't like Facebook, we need the people that buy. It's like, there's just cynicism from both sides, right? They're like, one side they're talking about the kids aren't on it, on the other side, you know, the habits that I see between 35 and 55 year olds on Facebook is extraordinary. The buying habits are extraordinary. I don't know when it depletes, it will, but do I think Facebook disappears? I don't. Not to mention, Facebook owns Instagram, which is the new Facebook. The wine entrepreneur you pulled up earlier, she has a question. Awesome. Um, what advice would you give women in, like, in tech or a male-dominated I mean, can you be more specific? I mean, I think the advice, you know, listen, here's what I know. The truth is undefeated, right? Like, if you're asking from a business standpoint, if you build a good business, people aren't gonna care if you're an alien, right? Um, so, you know, I think all these issues, minorities, you know, women in tech, minorities in tech is something I have a lot of heart for, especially like where I go and speak. I do a lot of pro bono in certain places of that nature. Those are hackers upstairs. They're pissed. That's the white man angry at this answer. <laughs> um, I think, I, I just want to finish this. I, I think, you know, for me, I'm completely color and gender blind when it comes to business. I don't, I, I just love capitalism so much. I think, you know, everything's hard. You know, everybody has challenges. I, I'm very heightened aware. The women in my life, my mom, sister, daughter, and you know, wife, I mean, that is my crew. I love AJ and my dad, but like, I'm very heightened to that conversation. Um, four of my five best friends that were groomsmen at my wedding are minorities. I'm heightened to, I was an immigrant that didn't speak English. I'm heightened to a lot of these things, but the truth is, you're also talking to somebody who loves the climb, right? I hate winning, by the way. I hate it. I almost think that I left wine. I gave you an answer to why I left wine. I'm not so sure that I'm being so truthful. I left wine when I felt like I was the guy in wine. Not only had the biggest store, but had the biggest presence. I love the climb. I actually think that, you know, I like the, the underdog status, you know, and so I think whether you're a white dude or a minority female, the actual answer to this question is to execute. You gotta execute. Nobody's gonna care if you can actually make it happen, period. Okay, we'll, we'll take two more questions. So, but, right, you know what's funny about Bitcoin? I really wish I had thoughts on Bitcoin. Let me explain. I'm just not mathematically smart. I can't even figure out, re- like, people are like, you know, it's like real currency. I'm like, no, I don't. I have no fucking idea what you're talking about. I do not know what a central bank is. I have no fucking clue. So, I want to desperately have thoughts on Bitcoin. I'm just not smart enough. I really do, I want it bad. 
I just don't get it. It sounds great, right? Like neutral, like, yeah, I mean, it sounds right. Like, I mean, but it's so weird, right? Like fucking, I'm like, I like go to one of my guys, I'm like, I need to set up a server to mine for Bitcoin. He's like, if you can tell me anything of what you just said in practicality, we'll do it. I'm like, I can't do it. You know, like, I just, you know. Five minutes to sit down with me. What's the real, okay. If you can beat me in rock, paper, scissors right now, I'll give you five. Five minutes if you lose now. We should have to give you five dollars or something. No, no, no. I'll just, I'm up. We'll go back. We'll go one, two, three, and then this. Okay. okay? One, two, three. One, two, three. Oh! oh. So, you know me. I'm here. I'm gonna wait. Fuck, I hate what you're saying. I do like, I do like losing, but I don't have five minutes. I'm pissed right now. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, Gary, I have one, well, two last questions. Okay. If you could add one key player to your Jets in the NFL, who would that be? Oh, we desperately need a wide receiver. Yeah, but who would, like who? Um, well, Megatron. You know, like if I could just pick, I'll yeah. take Calvin Johnson. Calvin Johnson. <laughs> you know. I mean, being realistic, knowing who the free agents are, sure. I would take maybe Sanders from the Steelers is going to be a free agent. Maybe Decker. I don't want Jude. I don't want Edelman, that fucker. Nick's. He's a Patriot. Yeah. What about Nick? Nick scares me. He seems like he's weirdly finished at 26. Okay. And um, so, uh, do you have sort of a timeline of when you're going to be buying the Jets? Because you always, I mean. Say you're gonna do that. Yeah, I, you know, I don't think of it that way. Yeah. You know, I think I think I'm gonna do it. I really do. And I and I know that it's like laughable. I get it. But like, it's gonna make for such a great story. Like when I do it, I'm like, yeah, I'm so pumped. Oh, you're gonna do, do it. it. No, I can tell you're gonna do it. You know, I'd like to be 60. You know, I'm 30, 22 year. I'm 38. I'd love to get it at 60. You know, I don't want to be fucking 90, right? Like, yeah. you know, I'd like to be 60. You know, Woody Johnson's at an age where. He's you know, not gonna sell it. Hopefully he stays nice. I want Woody to stay nice and healthy for many reasons, being a good human, and, and the fact that I'd like him to own it for another. You know, My big fear is that he sells it anywhere in the next decade because that's gonna then put me in a tough spot. Okay, okay. <laughs> sure. Um, so I have, a, I have a, a better value proposition for you. Okay. Um, I heard, like you actually posted this on Facebook, that you were actually a bigger Yankees fan back in the day in the day Tony Mattingly right yeah I mean I so I grew up a huge would you like fan. to why, why, why don't you go for something higher like you know try to buy them out back to the good point there yeah. once the Yankees started winning all those I mean the Yankees had 430 guys baseball is not a sport baseball is a business the New York Yankees spent $435 million this offseason. You know, the Kansas City Royals are gonna spend that in the next 40 years. Yeah. Baseball's a fucked up sport. I hate it for that. Really? I hate that it's not pure. Um, and but but I like base, I mean I wanna love baseball. I love fantasy baseball. Sure. I'm all about fantasy baseball. I don't okay. play fantasy football like most normal people because I love the Jets too much and I could never just like pick anybody else. So I was thinking about what would be a good gift for you? And I was thinking, well, hey, let's get him a Jets jersey. Obviously, I looked it up, and someone already got you a Jets jersey. I've got all those. Well, has anyone given you given you a uh, 
Yankees no, jersey. No, that's awesome. No, that's awesome. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thank you. Uh, number three, that's uh, Babe Ruth. So, ladies and gentlemen, Gary, later check. Thank you guys so much. Okay, great. Thank you guys. Great. All right, episode's over. Please leave a review and subscribe up on Apple. It would mean a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot to me. Thank you very much. Hey, podcast. Joe from Team Gary here. Today's highlighted review is The Best Show Ever by Jessica Tritzo. Ready to get pumped up. Great personal development for a daily dose of motivation. 100%. Keep those reviews coming. We could highlight yours next.